a very sobering song and uh, challenging. We appreciate that very much. If you would, take your Bibles and turn with me again back to Matthew chapter number 16. We're glad you're here. Appreciate Brother Chip filling in for Brother Jerry. We had a, preached a wild game dinner down in Spotsylvania, Virginia, and uh, a long ways off. And um, I got coming back, and Brother Jerry got sick. I don't know if it was the deep-fried alligator that got him or um, the barbecued turtle, but uh, there was all kinds of unusual meal, di- dishes there, and uh, we had a great time. But Jerry's homesick. Brother Chip filled in. I appreciate that much, and uh, we praise the Lord for his goodness. I got a letter here. Uh, it says um, it's from Pensacola, Florida. It's actually a press release. It says, Catherine Nicole Bonner. I didn't know her middle name was Nicole. And uh, Catherine Nicole Bonner, daughter of Mr. and Mrs. Curtis M. Bonner, Jr. of Davis, West Virginia, was named to the dean's list of Pensacola Christian College for academic achievement during a 2007 fall semester. And so we're proud of Catherine, and I think James was on there also, and so we praise the Lord for this. We're proud of our young people and appreciate what the Lord's preparing them to do and looking forward to great things the years to come. Matthew chapter number 16, if you would look down there at verse number 3 with me. I'm going to read the first half of verse 3. Then uh, I'm going to invite you to read along with me the second section, and I'll point out where you need to join in with me. Verse number 3, it says, and Jesus is speaking here. He says, and in the morning it will be foul weather today. Let me back up and read verse 2, get this continuity of thought here. And he answered and said unto them, when it is evening, ye say it will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning it will be foul weather today, for the sky is red and lowering. Here, if you would, join with me and let's read that next section of this verse together. O ye hypocrites, ye can discern the face of the sky, but cannot discern the signs of the times. I want to talk to you this morning about the signs of the times. Let's pray and ask the Lord to speak our hearts. Father, we're grateful for the good music we've heard in the fellowship, your blessings on us. We ask now as we look into your word that your Holy Spirit would begin to move and stir our hearts concerning our responsibility, our personal relationship with you. And I pray that you would help us today. I do not, uh, Lord, I ask that this would not just be another service we go through, another Sunday morning, just go through the motions. But I pray it would be a morning when you speak to our hearts, challenge us, we take a step forward. Lord, we're grateful for our visitors. I pray we'd be a blessing, encouragement to them. Pray for our church folk, that we would uh, renew our vision, our commitment to you. I present to you now, Lord, my body. I yield my will to yours. I ask that you would fill me with your Holy Spirit. Father, I mean, you would speak through me, that you would be the speaker. I would simply be the body that you speak through. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. It's interesting, in verse number 1 of Matthew chapter 16, you have the Pharisees and the Sadducees coming together. Now, if you uh, study your Bible much, you're going to find out that the Pharisees and the Sadducees were arch enemies. They despised each other. In fact, later on in the book of Acts, Paul uh, played on their uh, opposition or animosity towards each other and had them fussing with each other, and he was able to kind of escape some uh, hardship there. But the Pharisees and the Sadducees, arch enemies, are joining together in opposition to the Lord Jesus Christ. The Pharisees were what we would call legalists. Legalists. 
Now, we get accused at Mountain Lake Independent Baptist Church and other churches like ours will sometimes be accused of being legalists because we say there are some things that a Christian should do and there are some things a Christian should not do. That there are some places a Christian should go, there are some places a Christian should not go. Listen, having a set of standards for living is not legalism. That's simply Bible conviction. It's simply trying to do what's right and please the Lord. Legalism, as it's properly defined and as the Pharisees practiced it, was this. You have to keep a list of do's and don'ts in order to be saved. You had to do this. You couldn't do that. You had to do this. You couldn't do that. And if you did these and didn't do these things, then you could be saved. Listen, that is legalism. That is salvation by works. That is unscriptural. The Bible says we are saved by grace, simply by trusting the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior. That's what saves us. Then if we want to please the Lord, then we live by biblical standards and biblical principles. And so, the Pharisees were the legalists. The Sadducees were the liberals. They were the liberals. They didn't believe in any supernatural events. They didn't believe in miracles. They didn't believe in resurrection. They didn't believe in angels. They said basically what you see is all there is, and that was it. So the Pharisees were the legalists. They believed in miracles. They believed in the supernatural. Uh, they believed in angels and all that. But they thought you had to do things, keep the law, in order to be saved. The Sadducees, uh, they, they had the law as a good guide to go by, but they were the liberals. They opposed one another. But when it came to dealing with Jesus Christ, they became allies. Jesus was a threat to the legalists and to the liberals. Jesus coming with the truth was a threat to those who had taken God's word and twisted it and uh, mistaught it and had false doctrine. So they come to Jesus Christ. Jesus uh, engages them in a conversation here, and we'll get to that in a moment. Now, let me get to the, the subject of the message here. We are living in unusual times. Do you agree with me on that? Unusual days. In fact, I want to suggest to you, and this is the basis of the message we are living in a transition period. Transition period. All right, is everybody with me here? All right. We're living in a transition period. We are in a period of human history where the previous ages are changing and we are about to enter into a period of history, an age, if you will, of human history that is so fearful and so fantastic in so many ways that it's hard to even imagine what the future holds. We are in this transition period. Actually, the entire church age is somewhat of a transition period. But we are in a time, in the last several hundred years, we are in a time where things are changing so rapidly and things are being set up so clearly that we are about to enter a new age, if you will, a new period of human history when it is hard to imagine the Bible gives us. Now, whenever we are considering the future, we said last week that God has a plan for the future. It's not just happenstance. It's not just held or whatever chaos. No, it's all God has a plan. I like what the one fellow said. All history is his story history. God has a plan. So when we face the future, there's several things. We think about this coming age. We think about what uh, this transition period we're into now and what that's going to lead to. There's several things we must keep in mind. Number one is this, and this is all by way of introduction. The specifics 
Now, we said last week that God has a plan. Amen? Are you glad you came to church? Amen. Some of y'all wouldn't. Some of y'all wouldn't get caught up on your slate if it wasn't for times like this. What was we talking about? God has a plan. We said that God has a plan for the future. We have that established. We find that in the Word of God. Now let me say this. When we think about that, we think about the future, what this transition period we're in, what that's leading to. When we think of that, we must consider the fact that God has not given us specifics about what the future holds. He's told us some general things. He's given us an overview of the outline, and we'll get to that in just a moment. But God has not given us the specifics. Mount Lake Independent Baptist Church, we here at uh, this church, we believe the Bible is God's Word. Amen. And just as an aside, we believe, and we, I believe we have solid evidence for it, that God has preserved His Word in the King James Bible. That's our position. Um, but we believe the Bible. And the Bible gives us an overview. The Bible gives us uh, a summary, some general events that are going to take place in the future, in this coming age that we are in a transition period leading to. He's given some overviews of that, second coming. We can study it and find out all that. But he's not given us the specifics. He has not given us very detailed information. For instance, we do not know the time. We do not know the date. We do not know the season when the second coming is going to take place, when the rapture church. We don't know when that is. Jesus said, no man knoweth the time nor the day. We don't know when that is. Now, I believe it has to be soon, like we say. It may be morning, maybe evening, uh, maybe morning, maybe noon, maybe evening. It looks like to me it must be soon. But we don't know that. We don't know that. I cannot say to you definitely, emphatically, that Jesus is going to come within the next ten years. I don't know that. I think surely within ten years from now, the rapture church is going to take place. In my mind. be honest with you, I thought the rapture of the church was going to take place on or around the year 2000. I didn't preach that. I didn't teach that. But in my mind, I thought that's when it was going to take place. And I'll be honest with you, about 2001, I, I got down the dumps. I got a little, I got a little, well, you know. You know what I'm talking about? Oh, I figured he'd be back by now. It's kind of like, you know how ladies are? Well, I thought you'd been home by now, you know. But you know, I learned something about 2001. I found out Jesus is never late. Amen? He's never late. He's right on time. Everything's fine. Relax. It's okay. He didn't miss it. So we don't know when he's coming back. That's, that's a detail God has chosen not to give us. We know he is. And we know a little bit of the outline of how it's all going to pan out, but we don't know when. I, surely it will be within 10 years, but I can't say it will be. I can't say that Jesus is definitely going to come back within the next 100 years. I don't know that. We all think, surely within 100 years he'd be back. I mean, look at everything. But we don't know that for sure. So when we face the future, we need to understand we've not been given all the specifics. We have a general outline 
We have a general outline of what the future holds, but we're not given any specifics. For instance, the Bible doesn't tell us. You say, Brother Leatherman, I would like to know what my future holds. I want to go to God's Word. What does my future hold? Well, I know this for all of us. If the Lord does tarry, uh, I know we have a 100% chance that we're going to die. If the Lord doesn't come back for the next 200 years. All right? That's a general truth. You say, Brother Leatherman, is a... Uh, if the Lord doesn't come back, what are my chances of not dying? Zero. <laughs> That's a general thing. But I can't tell you when. The Bible says it's appointed unto man once to die. That word appointed means there's a specific date and time. Just like you have an appointment with the doctor, it's appointed unto man once to die. God knows all that. He has the details, but he's not given that with us. That's why it's so important we make sure we're saved. Brother Leatherman, someday I'm going to get saved. Brother, someday may be too late for you. And so, and by the way, the Bible doesn't tell us who we're supposed to marry for the young people. Brother Lemon, get the Bible out, show me who I'm supposed to marry. Well, I can't tell you that. The Bible doesn't give those specifics. The Bible gives some general principles we should follow in these matters, some scriptural principles, but there's no specifics. It's funny, when I was in Bible college, every now and then uh, somebody would come up and say, uh, uh, you know, it was, it was mostly the guys would say this to the gals, but they'd say something like this. God told me I'm supposed to marry you. You know, and the girl says, who are you? I don't even know who you are. You know, the Lord told me I'm supposed to marry you. And the girls would always say, well, when God tells me, we'll talk about it. <laughs> so we're given some general overview of it, but no specifics. That's important to keep in mind when we're dealing with a future. Be very, very careful of a book that comes out or some preacher you hear that starts giving very detailed information about the second coming. Be very, very careful about that. God has not given us that. Now, we can speculate. We can, uh, you know, we can use our imagination a little bit, but we need to always be careful to point out we're speculating. We don't know for certain. Let me give you a second thought when we consider future things, and that's this. Man has a natural, or we could say innate, negative view of the future. We have a tendency to view the future in a negative way. When I was young, I used to read a bunch of, uh, I used to read a good bit of science fiction uh, writing and stuff like that back before I was saved. I'm not read any of it since I've been saved, but I used to read a lot of it before then. If you pay attention a little bit, a lot of the books and movies and things about the future are all negative. You know, nuclear reactors leak and giant lizards grow thousands and they destroy the whole earth, you know, things like that. Or aliens invade and the whole earth is destroyed by aliens or some terrible virus comes out and everybody dies of this virus. Ninety percent of man's thoughts about the future are negative, terrible, awful. Let me say this, if a person does not know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior, the future is awfully negative. In fact, it is horrible beyond imagination. There's no Hollywood producer, there's no science fiction writer that has come up with a future as horrible as the eternal future of a person who dies without the Lord Jesus Christ. Hell and the lake of fire. Our minds cannot come up with what, that, what it means to exist for all eternity without any presence of God, without anything good or decent or pleasurable in life, but all suffering and sorrow and torment for all eternity. We can't comprehend that. 
So for a person who's unsaved, if you happen to be here this morning, by the way, whether you're a church member or not, and you do not know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, I say to you, your future is awfully dark if you remain in that condition. Now let me quickly add, if a person knows Jesus Christ as Savior, if a person has genuinely been born again through faith in Jesus Christ and uh, been made a new creature and a child of God, that person, the future is very bright. We have everything in the world to look forward to. You say, oh, Brother Leatherman, I, saw, I was at a church one New Year's Eve years ago and they showed a movie, Distant Thunder. And boy, the future's awful and the tribulation and earthquakes and death and all that. That's awfully. Hey, wait a minute. If you know the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior, I got news for you. We're going to be out of here. It's not for you and I. Now, that's not to say we may not suffer some persecution before that. It's not to say we might not have to go through some difficult times. But I'm here to say when it's all said and done, the child of God has a bright future to look forward to. And we don't have to be fearful of it. And so, some introductory thoughts here. Now let me get to the outline. Let me give you a few thoughts here real quickly. And uh, I, am, I am working on my New Year's resolution. I blew it last week. We're going to work on it this week again. Roman number one. Roman number one. First thought here for this morning. Consider the certainty of Jesus' return. The certainty of Jesus' return. I said we're in a transition period. For thousands of years, the earth has continued on pretty much the same the way it is. Of course, you had the flood back there, but for thousands of years, man have, for thousands of years, uh, people lived basically the same way Abraham lived. There wasn't much change in lifestyle for thousands of years. Then you get to the 1700s, 1800s, machines are starting to be invented, and man, things start changing. And you and I live a lifestyle that Abraham could never imagine. You and I are living a lifestyle that the folks that discovered America would never have imagined, could not have comprehended. And we are in this transition period leading to a new age, so to speak, a new dispensation, to use a Bible term, a new period of history that is so fantastic and in many ways very fearful for some people, but there's a certainty that we can be sure of. And what that is, is that Jesus Christ is coming back again, and that's what all this transition period is a part of. Jesus is coming back again. Everyone who takes the Bible seriously believes in the second coming of Jesus Christ. It is so clearly taught in the Bible that it cannot be overlooked. Jesus said, I will come again. Go back to the Old Testament prophets. The Old Testament prophets spoke not just of the first coming of Jesus Christ in the manger in Bethlehem, but they spoke many times of the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, as far back as the book of Genesis, there are pictures, there are hints of the second coming of Jesus Christ. The book of Jude tells us that Enoch walked with God, he was a preacher of righteousness, and he preached the second coming of Jesus Christ way back in the early times, early part of the book of Genesis. So the Old Testament prophets spoke not just of the first coming of Jesus to be the Savior of the world, but they spoke often of the return of Jesus Christ to be the judge of the world. Then you get through uh, the Gospels, and over and over, as I said, Jesus said, I will come again. I will come again. I will come again. You get to the book of Acts. The angels show up to the disciples when the Lord ascended out of their midst. And the angel said, this same Jesus shall so come in like manner as you have seen him go into heaven. 
uh, so shall he come. I kind of twisted that around a little bit. But the angels said that Jesus is coming back again. Then you get into the, the, the New Testament epistles, the writings of Paul and Peter, John, James, Jude. Every one of them spoke of the second coming of Jesus Christ. I'm here to tell you, it's a fact. Jesus is coming again. So, Brother Leatherman, I was at a church and, uh, you know, they kind of ridiculed that and they kind of talked that down. It doesn't matter what man says, God says it and it's sure. Jesus taught it, the Bible made it clear. Look here with me in Matthew chapter 16. Notice uh, what we read here, uh, verse number 2. Let's look at it again. He answered and said unto them, Jesus responding to this coalition of Pharisees and Sadducees, When it is evening... You say it will be fair weather for the sky is red. How many people have ever said that? You saw red at night, sailors, delight. We say it all the time. Then he says, well, then you see in the morning, and in the morning it will be foul weather today for the sky is red and lowering. Get up in the morning, the sun's coming up, boy, it's real red, clouds are fire red. You said red at night, sailors delight. Red in the morning, sailor take. Warning, Warning. you know there's bad weather coming. Then he goes on and says this, ye hypocrites. Boy, note that. How many, like, how many people like to be called a hypocrite? I don't like to be called a hypocrite. I wish I could say I've never been hypocritical. But uh, I don't like to be called a hypocrite. How about if Jesus Christ calls you a hypocrite? He says, ye hypocrites. What made them hypocritical? You can discern the face of the sky, but look at this but ye cannot discern the signs of the times. Some of Jesus' sharpest rebuke, one of His sharpest rebukes, is given to us here, and the rebuke was because they were not aware of the fact Jesus was coming again and what was taking place. Sharp rebuke. Just as sure as the sky red in the morning means a storm is coming, just as sure as the sky red in the evening means niceness, a nice uh, time is coming, just as sure as buds coming out on the trees in the spring uh, uh, tells us summer is coming, we can be certain of the fact Jesus Christ is coming back again. The certainty of Jesus coming. Now we ignore that to our peril. We ignore that to our own hurt. The fact that Jesus is coming again. Let me give you my second thought. Not only do we have in the Bible the certainty of the second coming of Christ, uh, of the Jesus return, but we also have the secrecy of the church's rapture. How many, how many people here ever, how many people here are familiar with the term rapture? Raise your hand. Rapture. Now, Bible preaching church, you're going to be familiar with that. You're going to hear reference to that often. The Bible speaks uh, of the truth of the rapture. The word rapture is not in the Bible. Jehovah's Witnesses come by and knock on your door and they say, uh, you know, the word rapture is not in the Bible. Don't let that throw you. The teaching is there. Do you know the word Trinity is not in the Bible? Again, the Jehovah's Witnesses say, you know, the word Trinity is not in the Bible. No, but the truth is there. How many people here believe that Jesus was our substitute when he died on that cross, buried and rose again? How many people believe that? Do you know the word substitute is not in the Bible? But the truth is there. So don't let that bother you. Don't let anybody use that and say, well, just because that word's not in the Bible, therefore the truth isn't there. That's not so. 
The word rapture is not in the Bible, but the truth is in the Bible. I made a statement a few moments ago that God has given us just some general information about the coming dispensation, about the future of mankind. He's not given us specifics, but he has told us an overview of the events that are going to take place in the future as it leads up to the end of the world and the creation of new heaven, new earth. And the very next event on the prophetic calendar, on the biblical calendar of mankind, the next event that shows up on the radar of the future uh, calendar is the rapture of the church. Now I'd like for you, and I've done this many times over the years, but we need to keep it before us, I'd like for you to consider this platform up here as a timeline. This is eternity past, that's eternity future. At one point, God created the heaven and earth. Uh, you had a creation of man and six literal days. You have, uh, uh, then you have the flood. Then you have the law and you have the Old Testament events. Then you get up to uh, when the birth of Jesus Christ and the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. That introduced what I call the church, the dispensation of the church. Some people call it the age of grace. I don't like that because it's always been grace from beginning to end. This is the church age we live in. God is dealing and working through the church. And so it began the church age. We are somewhere past the cross in this church age, but before the rapture. If you were going to draw a diagram, you would have a cross here. You'd have the earth being created back there. You'd have the cross where Jesus died, was buried, and rose again. Then you would have an arrow coming down. Or actually, I'm sorry, an arrow going up, halfway up, and an arrow coming down meeting. That's the rapture of the church. And the Bible tells us that every saved person will be caught up in a moment, a twinkling of an eye. We're caught up off the earth, and we meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. That is the rapture of the church. It happens in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. Then you have uh, a seven-year period that is uh, called the tribulation. Sometimes it's called the great tribulation. That primarily refers to the second three and a half years of that seven-year period. It's called the tribulation. It's called the time of Jacob's trouble. It's called the day of the Lord sometimes. There's various names given to it throughout the Bible. But it is a seven-year period. It's Daniel. 70th week, if you study the book of Daniel, it is a seven year period of time where God judges this earth. earth. Revelation gives a a lot of uh, uh, information about some general things that take place there. uh, Over a third of mankind's killed, over a third of the waters, beasts in the water destroyed, all these terrible, terrible things. The Antichrist is revealed, uh, leads up to the battle of Armageddon where Jesus Christ, and at the end of that seven years, you have an arrow coming down if you're drawing a little timeline And that is what we call, what I'm going to call this morning, the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now this is very important. The rapture is here. We meet the Lord in the air. Uh, The uh, marriage supper of the Lamb, great white throne judgment takes place with believers. Down on earth you have the seven year period of tribulation taking place. Antichrist, false prophet, the beast, all that's taking place. Leads up to the battle of Armageddon. The Lord comes back, reveals himself. Every eye shall see him. The, the clouds will be rolled back and uh, he'll come down and saints with him. He does war with the Antichrist, all the armies of the earth in the valley of Megiddo. Battle of Armageddon. Of course he destroys them. He judges the nations. He sets up the 1,000 year reign called the what? 
millennial reign. The word millennial means thousand years. The 1,000 year reign of Christ, get this, where Jesus Christ literally reigns from Jerusalem and rules the world. The beat their swords into plowshares. The lion lays down with the lamb. And uh, the uh, children play at the, the, at the uh, viper's um, den. And it's just an age of peace. Pretty much restored to what the Garden of Eden was. That type of setting. And for 1,000 years, at the end of the 1,000 years, Satan is loosed. He uh, gets a following. You have the battle of Gog and Magog. And the uh, Lord judges them. And uh, then, he judge, then all the dead, unsaved dead, are resurrected. You have the great white throne judgment. The lost are cast in a lake of fire. This earth, all the heavens burned up. with uh, uh, All the elements melt with uh, intense heat. God creates a new heaven, new earth. Now, that's the overview of all that. Now, I said all that to say this. This event back here, the rapture, is a secret. We don't know when that's going to happen. We don't know. Now we know what's going to happen after the rapture. And you can get somewhat of a time frame, and there's a little debate on some of the uh, exact uh, time of all that. We know the, the tribulation is seven years, but there's a little debate, and we know the millennial is a thousand years, but there's a little debate on how it all falls out. But uh, we can, from the rapture, we can pretty much lay out what and when's, uh, what's going to happen and when it's going to happen. But we don't know. This is the thing. We don't know when that rapture takes place. And none of this from there out is going to happen until the rapture takes place. He said, Brother Leatherman, I'm afraid the Antichrist is going to take over uh, next week. Well, if the Antichrist takes over next week, that means we're going to have to be raptured out of here before that takes place. Because the Bible says he's not going to be revealed until after the rapture. But we don't know when the rapture is going to take place. Now, let me give you some scripture. Oh, by the way, there are no signs for the rapture. He said, Brother Lemon, I thought Jesus said, you, you hypocrites, you can't discern the signs. Oh, that's something else. We'll talk about that. But the rapture, there's no signs. Uh, Israel being in the land is not a sign of the eminent rapture of the church. Um, uh, computer barcodes, you know, they're implanting now uh, microchips into people's skins. And they're suggesting the best place to do it is in the back of your hand or perhaps above your eyebrows. Isn't that coincidental? The Bible talks about no man can buy except uh, uh, the mark of the, uh, mark of the beast being in his... And the Bible in Revelation says in, not on, their hand and their forehead. But that's not a sign of the rapture of the church. There are no signs. In fact, the Apostle Paul thought the rapture was going to take place in his lifetime. Let me give you some scripture. Take your Bibles quickly with me. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And notice with me, if you would, verse 51. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 51. If you have an old Scofield Bible, it's page 1227. Which, by the way, Scofield notes are excellent on prophetic events. They're some of the best you can get. Uh, verse 51, Behold, I show you a what? Mystery. Something that's hidden. Something that is not known. I show you a mystery. We, when he says we, who's he talking about? Christians, saved people. Those of us that know the Lord. We shall not all sleep. Now, you say, Brother Levin, there's some people asleep right now. Um, 
When he says the word sleep there, he's not talking about catching up on your rest. He's talking about being dead. He says, we're not all going to die, but we shall all be changed. Now look at verse 52. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trump shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. It is time! The trumpet sounds! Boom! The rapture takes place and believers are caught up off the earth. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. The twinkling of an eye is an immeasurable amount of time. It is such a brief period of time, it is impossible to measure it. The twinkling of an eye. Turn with me, if you would, real quickly, over to 1 Thessalonians. Just a few pages there. Uh, You have 1 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians. Uh, Colossians, Philippians, Colossians, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Notice verse 13. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren. By the way, that's why you ought to join Bible Institute, so you won't be ignorant. Uh, Brethren, concerning them which are asleep. What's he talking about when he says they're asleep? Concerning those who are what? Dead. Those who have died in Christ. That ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain, notice he said we, he thought this would be in his lifetime, we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent, that means go before, We shall not prevent them which are asleep. We're not going to go before those who have already died. For the Lord Himself shall descend from heaven with a shout and the voice of the archangel with the trump of God. We just referenced that in Corinthians. And the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up. I circled that, put in the margin of my Bible, rapture. It's what that means, caught up shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, so shall we ever be with the Lord. The rapture of the church, there are no signs for the rapture of the church. There's no indicators other than the promise of God's Word when that's going to take place. It could be at any moment. It could be at any given time. We do not know when the rapture is going to take place. We do know this, that when the rapture happens, it will be so Quick, it will be so sudden, there will be no chance to prepare for it. It's not going to be, you're, you're, uh, you're unsaved, you're, you're doing, going about your business, you're driving 219, you're going to Walmart. It's not going to be like this. You hear a trumpet. You hear an angel shout, come up hither. Oh man, that's that rapture thing. I'm going to quick get saved. Pull over the side of the road. Oh Lord, I'm calling on you now. It's not going to be that way, my friend. It's not going to be strange reports coming in on the wires, trumpet sounds heard all around the world, sounds of come up hither being heard all around the world, uh, uh, experts trying to determine what this means. You say, oh man, that must be that rapture thing. Preacher, can I schedule a meeting with you? I've got to talk to you quick. It's not going to be that way. When the rapture takes place, it's going to be over. No time to prepare. No time to get ready. It is sudden, it is quick, it is secret. And by that we mean no anticipation, no signs, no indicators, uh, 
it is sudden. Uh, no time to prepare. Uh, that's why the Bible says that today is the day of salvation. That's why God says, if you're going to get saved, you better get saved today, because you don't know when that rapture is going to take place. By the way, you don't know when a car wreck or sickness will take place. You don't know when. Today's a, now's the accepted time, because a rapture is an unannounced event, no signs, no indicators. Now, third thought, last thought, the sign of Jesus' revelation. We said the certainty of his coming. We're told, we're given some general overview of what these events indicate. That's the certainty of his coming. We know what's going to happen. Given general view. The secrecy of the rapture, we don't know when that's going to happen. At any moment, we've been waiting for it. The church has been waiting for it for years. At any split second, it could happen. But then you have the signs of Jesus' revelation. Remember I said at the end of the seven-year period, Jesus would come back to earth visibly. Every eye shall see him. How many people remember me saying that a few moments ago? Raise your hand. How many people, aren't going to, how many people don't remember me saying that? Raise your hand. How many people aren't going to raise your hand no matter what I say? Raise your hand. The revelation of Jesus Christ. Here's my point. There are signs for the revelation of Jesus Christ. There's no signs for the rapture. That could happen any second. But there's all kinds of signs for when Jesus, it's called his second advent sometimes, when he comes back physically to earth, there's all kinds of signs preceding that. In fact, most of your signs in the gospel, in fact, all of them, when Jesus said in the last days, this will be true, this will be true, this will be true, this will be true, he's talking about this event over here, not this event here. Um, There's no signs for the rapture when we're caught up. But there are signs for that event seven years later when Jesus returns. Now here's my thought. If there's no signs for this event, we're on this side of it. We're over here. If there's no signs for the rapture, but there are signs for the second advent, the revelation of Jesus Christ, and if we are seeing signs for that event in our lifetime, How close are we to this event? If the world is being set up, and I suggested at the beginning of this message, we're in a transition period. If the world is being set up and we are seeing things put in place for this event, the revelation of Jesus Christ, if we're seeing that in our lifetime, then how, where is this event at? Now, there are no signs for this event. We have no idea when that's going to be. But I look around and I see things that Jesus said would be true at that event. And I see them in our world today. What does that tell us? You say, what are some of these signs? Let me quickly give them to you. The Bible says that in the days preceding the revelation, there would be days of uh, uh, that man uh, would be populous. The world would be populous. In Matthew 24, verse 37, the Bible says, As in the days of Noah, so shall it be at the second coming of the Son of Man. What was it like in the days of Noah? If you go back to Genesis 6, 1, and we're not going to take time, it says, in the days of Noah, Genesis chapter 6, that men began to multiply on the earth. You know what that was saying? I believe the world was a very populated place before the flood. You know what that's saying? In the days of Noah, the world was extremely populated. You know, there's, we're, we're approaching 7 billion people on planet Earth right now. 
And you know that increases, that rate of increase gets higher and higher, uh, more rapid and more rapid and more rapid as the, uh, uh, the population increases. How many, people here, how many people here grew up somewhere other than Garrett County? Raise your hand. You grew up somewhere else. You're an implant. Uh, you're, a, you're an illegal immigrant to Garrett County. Raise your hand. How many folks ever went back home and you say, good night, the place is built up. You don't even recognize it. Can I get a witness? I go back home. It was fairly country when I was little. Man, it's all city now, just engulfed by Philadelphia. I'm telling you, this world is infested with human beings. The place is covered. You say, you think we're overpopulated? I think there's plenty of room for more. God had all this in mind. But one of the signs of the revelation of Jesus Christ is men multiplied on the earth. Population. Never has this world been as populated, has population been to the levels it is today. Let me give you another sign. And we could spend weeks on this. Uh, The Bible says the days preceding the revelation would be perilous. Uh, Luke chapter 21, and boy, I wish we had time to turn there. Uh, Verse 8 through 11, verse uh, uh, verse 25 through 28 of Luke chapter 21 uh, says that false cults and false gospels will be there. He says, don't be deceived. People come saying they're coming in the name of Christ and saying, lo, Jesus is there and and this false prophet is there. He says, don't be deceived by that. That's the way it's going to be in those days. Uh, There's going to be fearful earthquakes in diverse places, the Bible term says. I was... uh, 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 National Geographic had a study on earthquakes and they have what they call a ring of fire. The archaeologist, not archaeologist, the, um, who would it be? Geologists. A ring of fire coming up from the coast of South America, up along the western coast of America, up through Canada, across Alaska, over down along Japan, and they have what they call the ring of fire. Any given day, there are thousands of earthquakes taking place, and they are say they are increasing by every day. They're increasing more and more and more, and it is not if there's going to be catastrophic earthquakes, it's a matter of when it's going to take place. I'm telling you, we are, we are seeing all this taking place even as we speak. The ring of fire. Uh, there are national crises going on around the world. I read a world uh, something report a number of years ago. They said at any given time, there are 250 wars going on somewhere between people and nations and people groups throughout the world constantly going on. Wars and rumors of wars. World War I was said to be the war to end all what? And more people have been killed since World War I in war than hundreds of years before that. I'm telling you, it would be perilous times. Now, there is no sign for the rapture. That could happen. There's no indicator. But boy, there's our indicators for the revelation. And if we see them happening, where must we be now? Revelation, or Luke chapter 21, verse 12 said it'll be days of persecution. Matthew chapter 24, verse 1 and verse 12. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1 through 4 says it'll be days of perversion. Matt gave an excellent presentation, a little rushed. I didn't really have time to do it, really. We'll have to maybe do it again sometime. But talking about the perversity that is in the world today. They tell us that child molestation is at an all-time high. Now you don't just have, uh, you know, we know about the, in the Catholic Church, the priests, thousands of them molesting young, uh, particularly boys. But now you also have in our public schools young ladies molesting young boys. Teachers. 
I'm telling you, we live in days, almost unprecedented perversion. Sodomy is now protected by law. Do you know it is illegal for me to preach against sodomy in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania? It is on the books. It is illegal. They do not enforce it yet, but it's all in place. And that's true in places all throughout America. Sodomite marriages. By the way, if you're not familiar, the term sodomy is the Bible term for homosexuality. Sodomite marriages are now uh, being introduced and practiced in certain places in the United States, though technically it's illegal. But you know, the United States is unique. You go over to Europe, and it has been legal for years for sodomite marriages, recognized just like a normal marriage that you and I uh, are involved, those of us are married today. In, Nor- in, uh, in um, where's that family? Uh, Netherlands. Over there, uh, and a bunch of those countries, prostitution is legal. Drug abuse is open. They have pot cafes. Uh, There is no censorship on television whatsoever. Days of perversion. The Bible says there will be political signs. There will be global alliances. Of course, we're familiar with the Antichrist, the one world government, the revived Roman Empire. There will be, gover- be alignments between nations. And boy, we just see that so much as every year goes by, the globe becomes more and more intertwined and our policies and our politics become more and more intertwined. They're talking about now having a Mexican America and just having one country, Mexico, United States, and Canada, just being one country, no borders, just all one interconnected thing, which leads to bigger things and bigger things and bigger things. Now, what I'm saying is this. Jesus rebuked the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He said, you can't see the signs of the times. You can tell the weather. You, got you, you can tell what the weather's going to be tomorrow, but you don't see a thing that's happening around you. You're totally unaware of the days you're living in. And he says, you're a hypocrite. Why are you not aware of what God is doing? Why are you not aware of God's plan? Why are you not aware of what is happening? Open your eyes. Pay attention. He says, because of the signs of the times. You say, Brother Leatherman, are you setting a date for the return of Jesus Christ? No, because we don't know when the rapture is going to be. But I am saying this, everything that Jesus said would be true about the revelation, we can see it clearly all set up. Can I suggest to you, nothing has to be changed for for prophecy to take place. Nothing has to be changed. All it has to do is just fall into place. All you need is these political alignments fall into place. I'm telling you, Jesus is coming again. We better be prepared. If we see this event, how much closer is this event? He said, how do I get ready? Number one, recognize your own sinfulness. If you're here this morning and you do not have the assurance that God has forgiven your sins and saved you from hell and judgment of of our sin, then the first thing you need to do is recognize your own sinfulness. And by that, I don't mean just admit you've done some sinful things. Before I was saved, I was under such conviction those five months. You know what God was showing me? He was showing me not just how bad the things were I was doing, but he was showing me how sinful my heart was. The very core of my being, deceitful, desperately wicked. 
We need to acknowledge to God that we're sinners. If we're going to be prepared for the coming events and what the transition period is leading to, we must repent from our sin and unbelief and trust Jesus Christ as Savior. Say, yes, I want Jesus Christ. I want Him to save me. I want Him to cleanse me from my sin. I want Him to make me a child of God. I want a new life in Christ. I want Jesus Christ to be my Savior. And if we'll call on Him, the Bible says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And then if we've done that, And we must die to self and live our lives for the Lord Jesus Christ. When that rapture takes place and we stand before Jesus Christ as saved men and women, we give an account of our lives as a Christian. I don't know about you, but I don't want to hear the Lord. uh, I don't want to be ashamed. I want to hear the Lord say, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. But that requires dying to self. That requires committing my life to the Lord Jesus Christ. That requires not worrying what the people of this world think or what they say, but worrying about what Jesus says and what He's going to uh, think of me when I stand before Him. Are you prepared? Are you saved? If you're saved, are you committed to Jesus Christ? Are you living by the principles of this book? Signs of the times are everywhere. There's a brand new feeling in the air. I believe Jesus is coming back. I can't help, I don't know when, but I can't help but think it must be soon. It must be soon. Father, please bless us. Help us, dear Lord. Our lives will be yielded to you.